Why don't you pray for us? Me? Yeah. Me? That's what you sounded like <laughs> you did that. Huh? <laughs> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. How are you guys doing? How are you? Okay, hey, I made it into the newspaper. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, this is the first time, and it's a good thing. So that's oh good. You know, yeah, that's not always the case. Whoa, I'm just seeing it. Somebody put it on my desk yesterday. I had the blessing of the pets hmm. at uh, at our at our school at our little parochial school, and dude, tons of people came out. Uh, lots and lots of fun. But yeah, they they brought some guy out from the paper, and it was about a hundred degrees yesterday. I don't know how hot it is up there in Illinois, but it, it was, was warm. It was pretty hot, yeah. It, it was a scorcher, uh, but I decided to go all out and went out in my cassock and surplus and was just wheeling and dealing, uh, blessed a python. Oh. I don't know if that's biblical or I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that works. Blessed a tarantula and, a, and a goat named Little Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> how big was the goat? Was it little? <laughs> Um, he was, uh, his head was small and his legs were tiny, but it looked like he was pregnant. Mm-hmm. He, his, his stomach was ginormous. Oh, what a fed. perfect goat name though. Yeah. Little, Little Tommy. <laughs> Can that be the name of our episode? No matter what we talk about. <laughs> yeah, I'm writing it down. Dude, it was so fun. I was a little disappointed that nobody brought a horse. Uh, I really wanted to ride a horse, mm. but... Uh, they I didn't I, like make you ride in on a horse to bless the pets. No, can you? That would have been that? biblical. That would have been biblical that right there. Biblical. I think I saw a picture of Father Nick Blaha riding a horse in a parade, wearing his cassock and beretta. <laughs> wow. It was like that's out of a bygone era. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. So I don't know. I mean, it was it's a big deal for um at least for our school. I did I did not realize that many people would come out. But I got to say man, it's so fun working with that school and going over and seeing all the the kids over there. Mm-hmm. They are just hilarious. So I, yeah. I love it. So that's that's my little update. I'm now famous in Rome. You're famous in Rome. Uh my update, I had oh my gosh. It was such a good weekend. So I went out to um, Lincoln, Nebraska to be the godfather for Drew and Emily Hennish's newest son, Thomas, actually. Emily Hennish is one of the first people that ever listened to this podcast. Yeah. She, let's, I would say maybe we call her our biggest fan, honestly. Hmm. Whoa. Um, Yeah. And they, I mean, they've contributed a lot to the podcast, if you think about it. Like the quick Mm check-in, the Penny story, right? Oh, that's her. That's her. That's her. So their son, Thomas, which, yeah, we'll see if the nickname Little Tommy sticks for him. I don't know (laughs) as well. But um, You're named after a goat. Oh, Thomas. No, don't you talk about my godson that way. Uh, Hey, that's Little Tommy to you. (laughs) That's that's Little Tommy. Um, But it was so much fun. The the godmother was the Griswold, the Grizz. Oh, my Uh, gosh. Yeah. And Who I emailed hasn't emailed me back. 
about what did you email about uh sos stuff oh yeah okay gotcha i think yeah i thought we were just out like we didn't make the cut but not according no not according to her not according to her and i don't know if if she actually knew that or if she just is going to threaten to throw like Molotov cocktails at people, <laughs> which I mean, she keeps those things in her car, man. So she calls like, them her little Tommies. <laughs> <laughs> man, I would love to see Martha Griswold huck a Molotov cocktail at somebody, especially on our behalf. I, yeah, no, I, I actually it happened two or three times this weekend, so it's quite the sight. Um, I, I but it was one of the better. It was one of the better like times I've had in a long time. It, so much of my heart is still in Nebraska, so I didn't get to see a ton of people, which we kind of designed it that way. Um, but I got to see the Cranda family. Shout out to them, man! So mm-hmm. And I hadn't seen the new Newman Center out there, um, which is like four or five years old now. It's incredibly beautiful. So a lot of good uh, going on out there, and then we just took a like a whole day just to hang out with the Hinnishes. So pretty big day. We took took all the Hinnish kids to Shields, you know, walked around, um, which was pretty great. What's Shields? And, uh, it's just a big like sporting goods outdoors store. Oh, okay. It's like the best store though. Um, so yeah, it was really good. It was really good prayer, and that's kind of yeah. I just realized, gosh, man. I could have stayed in Nebraska and been so dang, dang happy. Um, but it was good. It's kind of, I actually thought about your, was it uh, Bishop Bartosik's thing, Bisque, of like, you know, how to cultivate gratitude, um, whatever he was talking about. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Vaguely. Yeah. Like when he got back from something, but. Oh, that's right. Yeah. When he got back from his sabbatical. Yeah. And he said, you know, you don't like necessarily wish to go back because it wouldn't be grateful. No, um, I asked him, um. So are you, were you sad that it ended or something like that? And he goes, oh, yeah, exactly. that would be so, it'd be profoundly ungrateful. Yeah, no, I, that actually helps a, a lot. Um, cause it, it was like, okay, I gotta, you know, get back and just so thankful for like life right now and where God has put me. Um, but so it was, it was a really, really cool few days. So that's my life. I'm on cloud nine. It's awesome. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Is this what we're doing now? We do updates at the beginning. Is this a segment? I believe it's called Happies and Crappies. <laughs> <laughs> Roses and Thorns. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we got the countertop in for most of the coffee bar yesterday, and the rest will go up today. So I'm pretty jazzed about that. Um, how how close do you if the if the whole project um, if you had to percentage calculate it how close are you to being finished well see this is the thing is that what does finished mean you know oh my gosh dude don't do that and when you say jazzed would you (laughs) i say jazzed is it like you actually did jazz hands (laughs) yeah like it's that exciting (laughs) i scat sang (laughs) (laughs) man i'm jazzed (laughs) i'm jazzy um (laughs) It's October 11th. We have an Oktoberfest, which any listener in the Chicago area should come out for our Oktoberfest. It'll be kind of a grand, soft opening of the coffee bar. Um, nice, dude. Nice. But there's a lot. I can't remember if I mentioned last week or if I hadn't 
if I had uh, met with this guy by last week, but this coffee roaster in Chicago, who's a UIC alum, is uh, I'm gonna get the coffee from him and learning a lot about the coffee business because they, uh, you know, the wholesaler that sells you their coffee or the roaster that sells you their coffee um, helps you out with the whole setup of equipment and things. And he's a local Chicago guy, cool dude, about my age, um, good story how we got into the business and hmm. so all that stuff like equipment and everything. I mean, there, my experience so far has been, there's nothing, there's never a point where you're like, Oh, now I can cross my arms and put my feet up because everything's done. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. we will be operational more or less in a couple of weeks. It's so you got a whole cool. vision for this thing. Well, I wouldn't say I have the whole vision contained in my head, but the people that I've surrounded myself with, plus my own input, um, have, yeah, made something happen that didn't exist before, which is kind of a cool feeling. Hashtag collaboration. Hashtag wow. synodality. <laughs> Hashtag dialogue. Okay. <laughs> Hashtag That's a word we blessed. should never, never tire of hearing. Um, wait, so do y'all have like... Man, this is going to sound so... That's okay. Do y'all have like a one-year plan or like a five-year plan and a 10-year plan moving forward? Like what that would actually look like? No, not that far out in the future, but... But um, a little bit. But a little bit, yeah. A smidge? A smidge. It's like a smidge plan? A skosh. At what point does this become just a total capitalist venture just for the money? (laughs) (laughs) Pretty soon, I think. I think we'll sell out. Just make it a Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just rent the space. Good. Dude, we almost did that with the podcast within episode one. That's right. So, <laughs> all right, tide. how much are we going to sell this for? <laughs> tide Bleach. Tide Bleach, they never contacted us back. We never heard from Tide Bleach. That's been a long time. Wow. Hmm. Huh. <clears throat> all right, well, hey, I had I had one thing. We'll bring um, it up. Yeah, it's more of, well, honestly, it's more of a feeling than it is an actual idea, but I guess I was wondering if I don't want to stop it. Can't stop it. Um, the, so I've been in in the parish now for about three months and, you know, all of last year, just basically reading and intaking information. And I've gotten to the point now as a priest in the parish where you, you know, you see different things and you uh, work with people in different um, situations and difficulties and things like that. And you're preaching different homilies. You got different readings coming through. But honestly, I kind of feel like I, I'm i like wedged in um, from the perspective that I come at things, come at like basically every situation, um, that I'm like not learning new i'm not learning new things so it kind of feels like when i step into like a pastoral situation or a ministerial situation um it's like i already know what i'm gonna say or like i already know the answer to this which is true in some sense but i I think it's also kind of untrue in another sense um and so like whenever people come and and talk with me there's this feeling of like man i'm 
I'm kind of repeating myself, maybe saying it in a different way, but in some form or another, I'm like telling all these people the same thing. And I know at one level, if I'm telling them about Jesus, like obviously that's a really good thing. Um, but then at another level, it, I don't know, it just has a different feel from, well, you know, the last seven years when you're in school and you're having all these new ideas that they're kind of like mind opening. Um, and we're not saying that this is necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think there's something good to it, but, but it's like, I, I already know at least what I'm going to tell you. And it's going to be something like, um, you know, something, something about Jesus, obviously, and his cross and, and death and resurrection. Um, and so there's a part of me that, that kind of feels stuck in it, but then there's a part of me also that, I mean, even now as I talk about it, it's like, you know, I don't know if that's, is that just what it feels like to grow in your priesthood where you, you do find different ways to essentially talk about the same thing, which is Jesus? Um, so one, do y'all understand what I'm saying? Two, have y'all had that experience? And three, like, what did y'all do? What did y'all do with that? Hmm. And, and, well, I'll just add one thing. It, I kind of, as I was thinking about it and trying to process through it, because I'm not, well, I guess I don't know how I feel about it, but I thought about Cywick, where he said, you know, essentially, throughout your time as a priest, you're going to preach like one or two homilies. Of all of the homilies that you're going to preach, you're going to preach like one or two homilies, meaning there's something really deeply important to you, and like Christ has changed your life in a profound way. And essentially like everything is going to be tied to that. And so you're really only going to going to have like one or two truly authentic, like deep, deep messages and everything else is going to kind of flower off of that. Does that mean that you're going to have one or two significant homilies or that no, all your like, homilies are going to be basically versions of those two yes. or one? Yeah. Okay. That, at least that's how I heard him. That's what I thought. Well, I will say I went up and gave a talk to the pre-theology guys last week and somebody asked me almost this very question. Um, I think they had gone out for like seminary appeal and done the whole tell your story and ask for money thing. And I remember doing that as a pre-theologian as well and giving it like five times at all the masses at a parish on a weekend. And by the fifth Mm -hmm. time, you're like this doesn't feel like the spontaneous testimony of faith, this authentic thing that I did the first time I got up here. Now I'm just sort of saying the same thing again. Um, now it's new people that haven't heard it before, but like internally it feels a little bit rote. Um, and he's like, how do you, do you, do you feel like that as a priest, like preaching the same homily over and over again? How do you keep it fresh and authentic? Um, and I think certainly there are situations where that does happen. Um, you know, if you do have to give like four or five masses on a weekend, you're not going to think of a different homily for each one, but I just use notes. I don't, I don't write it out. So it's not word for word the same. Um, but I think I also hear you saying like in situations people bring to you, you end up having that, like say in the confessional. Like how many different things can you say? Can you think of something original and 
inspiring for every single person that comes into confession after like three hours straight of hearing confessions. <laughs> right. Um, or like a unique, there's a lot of pressure on us, like the penance thing, <laughs> like thinking of a unique, awesome penance to give somebody. Um, I will say in some of those areas I've given up because <clears throat> I'm just not, it's sort of like decision fatigue. Like I can't be this creative all the time, but I will like for funerals and things like this. Don't tell anybody I said this, but I usually don't think of them until <laughs> the the sacristy before I go out. And I'll just write like three or four points on a note card and have that with me so that I don't give the same funeral homily every time, you know, <laughs> and I let give a little room for the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, the prep work for that is not so much sitting in your room reading books about death and resurrection, but knowing the people, like going and visiting the person before they die or going to the wake and staying there mm-hmm. the extra few minutes to talk to some family and yeah. that sort of thing. And I think that's sort of my answer is that, um, yeah, the truth stays the same. You change over time, I think, by what you're reading and praying and experiencing. But you also encounter all sorts of different people. And that, like, facing of reality, especially in the other person, um, changes you, or it should change you. That's the whole Pope Francis thing of encounter, that we are changed by encounter both people, you know. So you as a priest in Persona Christi, meeting this other person, meeting Christ in this person, um, are mutually changed by the openness you have toward one another you know mm-hmm. um and so you might be saying some version of the same like this happens to me in marriage prep a lot i basically give the same four marriage prep sessions to couples but every couple is different and i make sure that my first act is to listen to them so my first question at the first session is what's your relationship with god and then i i listen you know and i ask a few more sort of socratic questions and then that i do talk a lot maybe too much uh, to make sure that they get like the basic gospel message and what the sacrament means and some of the ins and outs of sex and family and things like that and why the church teaches what, what she teaches on that stuff. But, um, yeah, I've definitely experienced where I get sick of this explanation or, you know, and to me that sometimes is a sign that like, maybe this isn't really deeply what people are looking for. Cause I find it a little bit wanting, um, is it, you guys got a garbage truck going or something? Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff going on here. Sorry. I don't <laughs> know what right. else to do. <laughs> it's all good. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I relate to it, uh, Mets. I don't know. that. I like your explanation there, um, Connor, on, um, on it. But, yeah, I, I guess I don't have any, like too many thoughts coming coming to it besides what you you said um there i know it's interesting i mean i yeah the line of like not repeating yourself and actually like doing the hard work of like um the biggest thing at the same place from like year one to year two for me has been how much more i've been reading 
uh, or like one of the biggest things, just because, I mean, you know a place in such a different way after even that amount of time, um, which is really cool. So, I mean, there's days that I feel like I don't have my feet underneath me and it is pulled in a million different directions and, and stuff. But, um, but there's also a lot of days I feel pretty, like pretty organized as far as like staying focused on what needs to happen, um, today and everything like that. And so it's been cool because I don't, yeah, just what I, what I have read has influenced a lot of like what I have preached about and, um, will come up in, in conversation, um, etc on that but i guess i don't see it like as a negative at all t- for yeah. in a sense like the basic truths to continue to come to come out and sometimes i've learned lessons in that too of um what was it the other day i think it was one of the newman students was um i was talking to and they you know it was the old point of uh what's the line um god does not uh call the equipped he equips the called and they were saying like how much that meant, like it really hit them, you know, in mm. that moment. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I remember being a sophomore and like that blew my mind when I heard <laughs> that, you know? And it was, um, it was actually really good to, really good to hear because you do like, y- you know, if you hear that for like six years, then you're like, oh, this is old news, et cetera. But to mm. someone who hasn't heard it, like maybe they've never thought about that, that God, like will actually equip you if he calls you and not, and it, it's not that um, you have to be equipped before he, you know, um, anyway, when, when there was you, only one set of footprints, yeah. I was carrying you. <laughs> right. I mean that, that type of stuff. And um, it's like, yeah, if that's, if that's the type, if like you just repeat that line over and over again in a homily, then like, yeah, maybe people get, uh, um, you know, kind of get over it in, in some way. Uh, but it's just a good reminder of, I don't know. I mean, some of that stuff is is really good to to bring out every yeah, now and well, then. But 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 the basic truth of like, I don't know. I've also just heard, at least, kind of found that, um, like the the pretty basic gospel message of, um, like God actually became a human being in Jesus because He loves you. And, um, would do anything to save, to save you and you have freedom and, and a choice, um, in that to try and begin to accept this grace and even in the places that it hurts and, um, like that, it doesn't really get old. I mean, for myself included to, to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I found is, well, and, and I don't, I don't see this as a, as a bad thing. I think it's something that I just, I need to understand and need to allow to, to actually become a part of, of my priesthood. Um, because I think in a lot of ways it's a, it's a deepening and a maturing and of, of these, you know, seminary is six or seven years and we never go back to seminary. And so it's like, here's a special time where, uh, you, you had like some of the best priests around you. You had some of the best friends around you. And it was just this like incredibly nourishing, like nutrient filled place where you could grow and grow and grow. And that's meant to unfold over time. Like, <laughs> and that's meant to grow and to deepen and to, to, to grow an understanding of what we actually received. And so I think of a guy like Father Brett Brandon, 
or mm. Father Gus, who just sits in his office, and I'm sure he basically says the same thing to everybody, <laughs> but he's been doing it for so long and impacted so many people through this constant, consistent message of love, um, you know, manifested in different ways to different people as they come from their different circumstances, but it's essentially the same thing. And, and I, I think it's actually a maturation process in, in the priesthood, um, because, you know, and I can even feel it now. I think like a part of it is, well, the gospel message is attractive and beautiful because Christ actually died and rose from the dead not because I can say it in a really cool way. Yeah. And so even there, it's like, uh, it's actually humbling and a great way for me to, to, to take a step back into like, Oh, this actually isn't about me. You know, like this is totally about Jesus. And so when I talk about Christ, um, like he's the reason why people's eyes light up and he's the reasons why people's hearts catch on fire. And so that the experience of like, oh, it's not even about like how dynamically we say it or what new perspective we can give to things. But like, you're right. When people hear that Jesus loves them and he died for them um, and like saves every part of their heart, everybody everybody like looks at you with this laser vision and they're like, what are you talking about? Because I need that. And yeah, it's, and so in a lot of ways, I think it's, um, it's actually a, a type of a, um, a maturation. Um, yeah. Part of what I said to that seminarian, what occurred to me was that, um, something you said, Rob, that maybe father Gus said about the homily that you wanted to give where you had like three different ideas Oh yeah, gold said, man, free yeah, gold. Give one this year, give the next one three years from now, and give the other one six years from now. Uh, you talk about maturation. I think that that's when you get out of the gate, you think I got to say everything I know in this homily because this is my one chance to totally blow everybody's mind and get everybody to convert. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know that. Or I, yeah. I actually noticed it at my deacon year. I remember, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but I got to preach on Christmas as a deacon. And I kind of, that's how I started to, that homily was thinking like exactly that of like, this has to be everything. This is the Christmas homily. Mm-hmm. But then it just hit me as like, hey, actually the Christmas homily is going to be different than the Easter homily. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to, I mean, it's okay, obviously, to give like a gospel presentation or like, et cetera, but like, that's okay that it, it can be the message about like the incarnation and him coming and not actually like try and get everything in just because it's Christmas, because Christmas is different than Easter. You can't have one without the other. Um, does that make any sense though? Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay yeah. just to talk about Christmas and what yeah. that means actually. Yeah. So there's that part, I think, the uh, just like chill, slow your roll, you know, how many, how many homilies do you actually remember uh, in your life having heard? Not very many. So, but you remember preachers and like, oh, that person, I, I always look forward to that guy's homilies because they were thoughtful. Like to me, I think of uh, Father Hennessy. Now here's a guy, he, he explicitly word for word repeats himself a lot you know you hear 
mm-hmm. eight Father Hennessy homilies, and you you will have heard the same thing eight times, sometimes literally word for word, his the phrases that he has. Um, but the distinction that occurred to me just thinking right now is cliche versus classic, like hmm. like the Ooh, footprints like in the that. sand thing. Yeah. yeah, You hear that once and you're like, oh, wow, that's really beautiful. Jesus was carrying me. And you hear it a second time, you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard that. By the 10th time you've heard it, you're like, oh, it's this treacly sentimental thing that's not that um classic you know what i mean even though it's Mm. kind of gotten to the level of a classic on cards and stuff but um i just think like the like for instance the scriptures how do you how do we read the same words over and over again like you just you read the gospel one year and then three years later just run it again same gospel and even the four gospels are basically different words to the same story but it never stops um, being nourishment, those words of Christ. That, to me, is like a sign that it's the word of God. That who, Who's ever written anything that you read over and over and over again your entire life and you never find it to be thin or tinny or not, not some deep truth that you forget and need to be reminded of constantly? Yeah. Um, the wheat and the chaff, so like the the weighty stuff lasts, and the chaff just kind of blows away. And I think that in my five years, that's that's been the case. Like in my marriage prep example, like I started with, okay, this needs to be in there. People need to hear this. But after a while, it just stopped feeling like, man, eh, well, that's important, but it's not. It it doesn't. It never feels like it really like sinks in. Yeah. So mm. this thing is more yeah. important, you know. Um, yeah, that's good. So what lasts, I think that's the, that's the wisdom of time that over time, the classic endures and the cliche sort of just goes away. Yeah. Unless you keep beating a dead horse and and you, sometimes you hear homilies that trade in cliches and you're like, man, this doesn't measure up to the complexity or the depth of actual human experience. And that's where like going to see people and listening to their stories and being amidst the suffering and Christ and the poor and, and stuff like that, you, you know, just an easy, um, wrote like, well, God always has, there's a reason for everything. Everything happens for a reason that, that sort of thing. Like, while it may be a, have a shade of truth in it, people who hear that over and over again, but that go through all this senseless suffering, you just keep saying, there's a reason for everything. They're going to be like, you don't, you're not listening to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if we're changed by that and our, our presentation of the gospel becomes more human and real because of that, then I don't think you even notice it, but your preaching changes, you know. And you do I do right. think I preach the same one or two homilies over and over and over again. Um But it is changing slowly like a like water over the rocks, you know, just like imperceptibly becoming more I hope more real yeah 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 no two things um be, before mass uh here at, at my parish the pastor always says um like we'll all get together and just say a little prayer at the altar servers and it's our help is in the name of the lord who made the heavens and the earth and for maybe like the first two months i just kind of said that and you just said it like, and then one day it was like 
holy cow <laughs> like what mm-hmm. it it literally took me two and a half months to to say it every day before mass before i actually thought before it actually hit me like the profundity mm-hmm. of of what i was saying before going into mass like this is a god who made heaven and earth and he is our help he is our everything and we're about to commune with him you know but it but it took hearing it repeatedly over and over and over and and even so like Dmax class his his whole idea of the liturgy that really that burrowed deep in me deep 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 in me and his class is and he'll say it he's like guys I know this is going to be annoying but tell me what I told you and he'll just have us repeat a lot of the same things that we heard that he told us and then he'd tell us the same thing again and we I had like 2 years of that straight and mm-hmm. And I, finally, you know, within like before I left, at some point it really took root. And so I think I need to, there's also a realization that the first time that you say something, it may sound cool or edgy or something like that, but it's a different thing to have a, to have a word like enter deeply into your heart and to change you. And oftentimes, like we have to hear it time and time and time again, um, yeah, and even but, now as I'm talking, I think of my dad. Good Lord, how many times did he say <laughs> the same thing to me? <laughs> I'm still not listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, that's good. I I'm gonna think on that more. I was thinking of I just finished. You might like. I don't. I don't know if you're interested in reading or not. But I just finished that uh, when breath becomes air book mm-hmm. that I talked about last time, mm-hmm. and um. I guess kind of what I'm relating to to now, um, it was just interesting to hear him like learn how to become this big time like uh, physician. And I mean, he he, ta- he kind of talked about like very openly and honestly, just like, I don't know. I mean, all that goes into that of like sometimes the irreverence that is is there like or like just amongst the kind of the daily grind of like what mistakes can be made, et cetera, on, on that. But what was interesting towards the, towards the end of those memoirs was that he, he kind of had this like constant, not struggle, but like reality that he would reflect on. And I don't know if he ever like really put his finger on it even. Um, but of like, he is this like, big time physician, this neurosurgeon, but then all of a sudden he is the patient. And so it was just interesting. So he would like recount a lot of the conversations that he had with his doctor and he'd be like, Oh, like I, you know, I've, I've had that same conversation with so many patients before. And I know the background of it to know like what else is, is like in the meaning, but, but it's also still the right thing to tell me as the patient right now. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Um, it was just interesting to hear him reflect on, like, on that of like, "Hey, I know exactly what you're doing, doctor," because I've told that same thing to so many people. But and it's like infuriating right now that I can't get this answer out of you or that answer. But yeah. like after thinking about it, it's also the right thing for you to say, um, mm-hmm. yeah. which is interesting. Yeah, I do think of that. Uh, in terms of that, that analogy, in terms of us, like going to confession or even <clears throat> I don't very often get to hear homilies anymore. Like if I were up at the seminary and you had a bunch of priests, you'd take turns preaching. Imagine the difference between 
like, oh, that it's this gospel reading. I, yeah, that's an easy one to preach on. I'll just, you know, whatever. Like if you've been preaching for 25 years, you've preached on all the gospels several times. You might just have something you can warm over in the file or something like that. Whereas mm-hmm. if you saw that gospel reading was up and you weren't preaching, you'd be like, Hmm, I want to hear, I want to hear something new about this. Um, and you'd be more attentive or have more expectation. Uh, same thing when I hear confessions versus go to confession. Um, I need to, I need to hear the same thing that I say over and over again. Someone needs to say to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. I had one, uh, this may relate. I was thinking about it in terms of the cliche thing about, um, like things squaring with experience. I saw a tweet the other day, um, and it was somebody saying that they walked into a church at like 10 PM and, um, like somebody let them into this locked church and they saw a, a priest there <clears throat> and he was praying his holy hour. And he told them that he'd been going, quote, going since 530 AM, but he didn't, he never went to sleep without doing a holy hour. And it was meant to be inspiring. Um, which I think in a, in a way it was, but my, my reaction to it was negative at first. And I don't know why, like it, um, it made me feel like, Oh, you know, all the, <clears throat> all these questions, like, am I working hard enough? And like, I wasn't going since five thirty this morning. And like this image of the priest as just dogged, hardworking, but holy, you know, um, it's just, I mean, every once in a while it has been my experience that you do get up at 5.30 and you don't have a single break until 10 p.m. But few and far between. And I honestly yeah. don't want that life, <laughs> you know? And yeah. I don't think it's healthy or good. And I, it, to me, the more I thought about it, it was like, this is a Catholic baptism of the cult of busyness, you know, mm-hmm. that your life has meaning because you don't have any moments to yourself. Um that's what makes you important or worthwhile Hmm. versus say a retired person or a retired priest who I know several of one of uh, my spiritual directors retired and dealing with this sort of like ennui or the transition into like yesterday you were the pastor and everybody asked you millions of questions and you never got a break. And now no one thinks about you or cares about you or listens to your opinion on anything, but you're useful sometimes to do weddings and funerals and coverage for mass on Sunday. What's the meaning of your life now? Um, I'm reading a book uh, recommended to me by this priest I met down at the border called Parchment of Leaves by Silas House. He's Silas House is sort of like a Willa Cather type era. Um, I think he's still living and writing, but he writes about that turn of the century, my romantic farming uh, <laughs> ideal time. And it's about this uh, Native American girl, a Cherokee girl who marries a Irish guy in the Appalachians. And one of the characters is um, the little brother, little Irish brother, who like doesn't have a job, doesn't really do much, but he's constantly dreaming about getting some big job instead of just like going to the sawmill like his older brother and building a house and getting married and settling down and stuff and just living like everybody else does. He thinks to have a good life, you have to have a big life. You know, I have to go work on the railroad or be part of something big, you know, go to a big city, blah, blah, blah. 
And the Cherokee girl who narr- narrates the story, I can't remember the exact line, but it was something like, um, some people think that they have to have a big life to have a good life and they can't just um, be content with coming home and knowing that they, and the knowledge of a day well spent or something like that, like in work and then play and eating and enjoying people and their family and stuff like that. And that really resonated with me um, because I think as a priest or as anything in this culture today, like you feel like there's such high stakes with the job you choose and the career path and the person you marry. It all all has to be really big, you know, Um, and that if you're not doing a ton of stuff all the time, that's really meaningful. And people notice you in a church praying and be like, wow, dude, you're an inspiring priest. You're a hero. The simplicity is not appealing, you know, but to me more and more it is. I just want, I want a simple life that's healthy and good and fruitful and not free of suffering or hard work for that matter, but that isn't just busy for busy's sake, you know. Um, so whereas that, my point being that, whereas that image might've inspired me while I was in seminary, like, yeah, that's the kind of priest I want to be that never takes any time for himself except to pray. Um, that's totally. And even that's not for him. He's doing that for his people. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Does that make any sense? Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. For sure. Yeah, that's. And I don't mean to, I don't even remember who tweeted it. It was just on my timeline, but. Well, Father Connor, you hate holy hours. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what, what I'm hearing. Holy hours. <laughs> I don't hate holy hours. Yeah. No, it's it's true. I, I, I really like the phrase, the baptism of the busyness culture. Hmm. Yeah. That's like, that's where we have value. That's where we put our value in things here in the States and in our modern world. So. We're Christians, and we still hold that to be valuable. So yeah, so that's what holiness that looks like to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, I always think of gosh, he's such a goober, but I always think of Saint John Vianney, like his just his big giant mm. forehead coming at me. You know, <laughs> <and> his, <laughs> his wax hands. You're like ah, but he there. He's like the original. He's the OG of the hardworking priest. Yeah, you know. Well, and I'm sure there were some, yeah, obviously, before him. But, yeah, so there's something, because I love St. John Vianney and um, and do, as for his intercession and, and do reverence him as, you know, the church basically said, like, hey, this is what a really great priest looks like. And uh, and so he's kind of a, a provoking challenge, <laughs> his his haunting face. Seriously, he's got a huge forehead. <laughs> I've never noticed that. It what? is ghoulish. It oh, is yeah. ghoulish. Yeah. It's it's, it's ghoulish. <laughs> and so like part of me up. wants, but so then <laughs> oh, my question right. would be like, where, well, why is he doing that? And I, I really think he was just like, he was deeply in love with Jesus and it wasn't, um, you know, he lived till he was like 74 or in, in his seventies, which is actually a lot longer than I, than I originally thought. He lived, um, mm-hmm. but he didn't use himself as like, he didn't see himself as an end or as a, as a means. Like he didn't use himself. And I, I think that sometimes um, the temptation is 
to just think of ourselves like like objects of people's use in whatever in whatever way they need us you know um but i i don't think he i don't think he lived that way i think he actually loved his people and loved jesus very very deeply and and so it came from a, a free gift of himself um well back i mean back to your original with that that's like back to your original kind of observation there um I wonder if that is to, at least I'm thinking for myself of, um, yeah, I mean, what, whatever it is, like in that encounter with a, a person and like, you kind of know, even if you say the exact same thing, like, you know, internally how engaged you are with that person, if that makes sense is like, am I just telling you this because I know it's like the right thing to say and I have to get to this next thing or do you allow for like that brief moment or this thing or that thing to actually be like authentic. And I'm even thinking of like just enjoying like people. Does that make sense anyway? Like that, that difference internally um, there of like reflecting on the day and being like, well, no, I think like I would tell that person the same thing again, but I also, if I'm honest, like have to recognize that I was not very present like to that person in that moment either. Right. Um, For sure. Which I I battle that like daily, man. So I don't know if that's the same thing or or not. But just when you were talking about Vianney, like or or anybody like Father Gus or whoever, like there is this it, it, at least seeming like experience from from the other side of it is like, wow, this person is like free to the point that they're just with me here. Like I am there. I am their focus, um, which is a different thing even if it's good advice either way. Yeah, entirely. I think, I think that's, I, I, th- I think that's very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. Which I have actually found more enjoyable. Um, and thanks be to God, but that's not something that I struggle with to try and, um, perfectionism, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's, that's not a cross of mine. Eh, maybe in some ways, but, my my bigger thing is like I'll get caught up in these conversations with people and in these moments and so that's kind of why I always run late to stuff. Um at least that's what I've rationalized it too. <laughs> um yeah, and it's and it has been so fun. Like it's just it's it's so fun. I love being a parish priest. It's been very um fulfilling and and life-bringing and um yeah, so like I'm not even really frustrated about it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to figure out. Like I'm, I'm assuming it's the norm, but I don't know. Um, is this something that all priests go through? Because um, it's been great, you know. Um, I will say that I, I think I know what you're talking about, and having having experienced it a few years ago. And not to be the big brother and be like, all right, this is what's going on. But um, I am not getting under your wing. Okay. <laughs> It stinks, but I think there are seasons where you've. <laughs> it's funny. Good bo. Um, there's seasons where you feel like, oh, well, I got it all figured out, you know. Like, um, for some reason, the 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 uh, image of checkers came to mind. That like, there is a. I think that I heard somewhere that they stopped having like checkers competitions because, uh, at a certain point, you know, like a hundred years ago. In these checkers tournaments, they're they're just like 
was one best way to play checkers. And so the two finalists would just do that exact thing to each other and it would always end in a draw or something like that. Um, that sounds awful. Yeah, whereas chess, there's enough, there's almost infinite possibilities with chess with the way, all the different ways that the pieces can move that um, there's no one best way or, you know, there might be a currently best way to play that's unbeatable, but somebody can figure out a way around it, you know. Um, sometimes it feels like checkers where you're like, all right, well, I've, I've been at this a couple of years and run into most situations that come at a priest and figured out a way to, to address them. Um, but you realize it's chess. It ain't checkers. It's not training days. Training day. He says that. <laughs> that one flew right by me. Uh, yeah. Not sure on that one. Uh, watch that movie. My gosh. It's one of the few DVDs <laughs> I ever bought back in the DVD era. <laughs> I don't even know what DVDs are. DVD. <laughs> Man. Um, yeah, that there Do you are. Do have to rewind those? Do you have to like put it in reverse? <laughs> you guys know what DVDs are. Um, yeah, so I think that it's, I've been humbled many times in my life, rightfully so, but that I, th- I think it comes where you realize like, one situation in particular I felt like in my first couple of years of priesthood was one of these. Somebody had, without going into too many of the details, but there was a suicide in a family and they, um, is a big, big family. And I knew several of them. Some of the kids went to our school and, uh, there had been a lot of tragedy in the family previously and in this guy's life. And I, was like, I don't know what to do here. I just went to the house and like the whole family was there. And there's uh, other complicating aspects of the story that I won't go into, but I just found myself in this house with like 30 people just staring at me. And the, the father, this old man says to me in Spanish, like, say something, father. That's it. Like that was the only prompt, say something. And I just like word saladed out some Spanish platitudes and felt like an inch tall. Like I have nothing to say here, you know? Um, and all I could do was be with them. And that's, that's what you also realize is that there's moments when words don't do anything and can't do anything, but you doesn't mean that your presence is meaningless. Um, but even that, your presence doesn't make it better. There's no point where afterwards people are like, man, your presence, you just being there made such a difference. And like sometimes it still sucks and nothing gets better, but you still should have done that. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. those are the moments where you're like, this isn't checkers. Like I'm not figuring out the best way to do this. And now I'm like a doctor who just goes, oh, I've seen this kind of cancer before. This is the chemo you give. Um it's a bigger mystery than that. Oh no, Obadiah left. Obadiah. Oh, Obadiah. Is he just mad at us, you think? I think he's mad. Is he just done? I know it's not my internet because I just got it jacked up to 20 megabits. Did you? I know it's not my internet. Not 20, 200 megabits. No, your internet's good. Yeah, because I'm a good person. (laughs) And good things happen to good people. Exactly. Good mm-hmm. people have good internet. <laughs> now you he's, heard that one before? 
good people have good internet. Yep. Yep. Dang it, That's dude. a classic. <laughs> Obadiah's back. Obadiah. <laughs> now you're guest foo. <laughs> Cast hasn't seen Wait, Obadiah in over 10 seconds. Is that Rob? So we presume that they've disconnected. <laughs> did I lose you guys? Yeah. Hey! Did, you, did you hear my uh, story? No, it 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 um it broke up. Wait, was that me or was that you? You left. It was you, dude. No, uh. Using your phone as a hotspot. No. What? No. Well, something happened, but me and Rob are still talking and you left. Yeah, cuz oh, we no, were talking no, about we're talking. Yeah. yeah. Good people have good internet. Yeah. Did you say that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you missed that's, it cuz your internet's bad. Yeah. That's I'll so, leave you to draw the conclusions. Yeah. That's Wait, called a sil- to it's to a syllogism to try and figure out what I missed. <laughs> yeah. Please don't make me do that. Please. <laughs> I don't want to listen to this episode again. <laughs> no, it's t- Wait, what did you say? Did you hear my story about the suicide? Yeah, 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 yeah. Heard your whole story and yeah. then um what was the last thing that you said? Basically like there's no it's it's chess it ain't checkers. Like you there's no best way to do this. Oh and yeah, you said, "Oh, nobody's going to say, wow, I'm so happy that Paul exactly. was there." Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody ever says that. <laughs> no. Very rarely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and I and I think I mean, it's really good to talk this out honestly because I think a part of the the frustration is um well, yeah, just kind of discovering what it's like to be a priest is I do, I can tell at some level, I feel like I, like, hey, I got the answers. This is great. Like, yeah, there's like tough stuff that comes up and um, like, I guess I don't try to say too much. I don't try to say too little, but for the most part, I feel decently prepared and competent and, and that's a good thing. But to feel like I have the answers, like just everybody come and line up people because i got the gold you know as much as we say that and joke about it i want the gold i want the gold i'm gonna get a backhoe (laughs) dig up that tree don't don't be afraid (laughs) but i know also that like that's not that's not a um that's a dangerous place to be i guess in some ways where it's like, yeah, well, I want to be confident and competent and, and understand that, yeah, we received some great formation and had some awesome studies and do know a bit about this and that. But at the same time, um want to be open to an authentic encounter and an authentic expression of myself and other people. But then to also recognize that there's going to be times where I have no idea what's going on or what to say. Um and and I think like being aware of that is is actually more stable. It's like okay, the whole idea of I'm prepared to not be prepared. Well, right now I just feel prepared, and hmm. I know that that's kind of I know there's blind spots there. <laughs> it's like, all right, something's something's gonna smack me, and and I guess I'm okay with that. Um, but maybe that was, I think as we talk about it, that's that was kind of the bigger thing that I'm realizing is like, man, I do think I got everything under wraps in a lot of ways. But I know that's not true entirely. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that you're already probably experiencing, I know you are, new things that come slap you in the face, break your categories and and things like that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, but it's so easy. Like, it's so easy to to do the everybody just listen to me card. And, like, to, it's so easy to pontificate. Hmm. Um, because you do have this this place as a priest where people listen to you. Or as Baron says, it's easy to bazoo. Just go up there and bazoo. That's a, <laughs> man, that is such a Baron word. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> bazoo. What do you say? Herniate on the... On the fence yeah. of indecision. Of indifference. Of ambivalence. Whoa. Did he yeah. say that on our podcast? Three different I, interpretations. He did. Yeah. So, I thought it was herniate on the fence of ambivalence. Or no? Well, we'll have the... I thought it was indecision. Have the archivists that are listening go back and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. let's put a team on that. Yeah. All right, guys. This was good times. I had Thanks fun. For, thanks for letting me... Letting me talk through all that. <laughs> kind of find Are it you a little, guys a little ironic that we're talking about? How do you not say the same thing over and over again on a podcast we've been doing Don't for five years, <laughs> where we basically say the same thing over and over again? <laughs> I told you not to say it, and you did. <laughs> uh. All right, hey, watch uh, Training Day. Watch Training Day. Okay, and we have the next cast. Should we get another cast on, or are we? I think we already have next? one. But should we get like Adulting just always add one? Oh, I see. Or yeah. do we like next week? Do we plan two? Because that's a big difference. Okay, so this is a wrap. Cut. Cut. I just did my hands. I just did my arms like a like a movie set. All right, cut, cut it. Three dogs north are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.